absolutely. Hold on one sec. Well, the problem was is that in my headphones, I had my voice and it's been making me like stop talking because I'm like, oh, I'm going to interrupt someone. It's myself and my headphones. I guess we're going to swear on this podcast now, but it's just been like making me trip over my words and it's been confusing the shit out of me. If it's a tenth of a second or a couple of tenths of a second, that'll really mess with you as well. And That's what it was. I feel like I had a voice in my head. I feel like I was going crazy. <laughs> now that I'm no longer crazy, what's up? What's going on, man? Just enjoying my Monday afternoon. That's what I'm talking about. Well, first and foremost, I mean, I appreciate you coming on and chatting Anytime, with me. Man. I think I actually remember the first live stream you did. That was at Mage Titans in Austin, right? Two or three years ago? Uh, that wasn't the absolute first live stream, but that was the first on-location one, I believe. That was the one where we got the whiskey bottle confiscated. Well, I've gotten several whiskey bottles confiscated. So. <laughs> I, yeah, but it looks like my microphone. It looks like it's using the right one. So we're good. So you are the CEO of Jamerson. You run this agency, and you have this double life as like a online personality. I don't know if that's the right or wrong term to say, but how the hell do you balance those two out? Well, you don't. That's is really what it boils down to. Every decision you make, everything you invest your time in is something else that you didn't invest time in. So there, there are consequences for that decision. Uh, it's one of the reasons not everybody can do what I'm doing. You know, there, there are, there are detriments to that decision making process, but I understand the value in the content. I understand the value in the exposure and where we're trying to go. I mean, we're we're not even close to where we're going to take the e-commerceaholic content stuff. And so I'm willing to live with the negatives and the side effects from making those decisions. You know, there are problems with, you know, the business and projects and things that that could use more of my attention to make them go a little smoother. You know, you just mm-hmm. have to, you know, hire good people enable them to to do the job and then you know just jump in where you have to to free up time because content content takes a ton of time but it's it's not just the time it takes but it's also the mindset you have to be in so is that how you do it then do you have like content day and then actual work day and then ideally um that's that's the scenario you know rarely does it work that way right like Client wants us to build him a website and he wants to talk on Friday when we're going to live stream. Well, we're going to talk on Friday when he wants to. You know, live streams are not that hard. That That's what, that's the funny thing about live streams. The misconception is that that's an hour long or an hour and a half long. And that's much more difficult. You know, with live streams, pick 10, it's kind of like this conversation, right? Let's pick 10 topics. Let's uh, get together and let's stream for an hour and yeah. um, go about it, right? Whereas... A video requires you to write a script and requires you to shoot multiple takes. And then you, you know, you have to download the footage and then edit all the footage. And then you have to post the video. And there's just so much more that goes into a polished piece of content. uh, But that reaches a much more broad audience. So you have to put that effort into it. You, You try to squeeze it in as much as possible. But the more time you have dedicated to it, like if I could come in and do content in the mornings, and business in the afternoons, that works. But I have a mm-hmm. hard time doing business in the mornings and content in the afternoons. What would you say the percentage of time you spend is on content? Uh, well, it, it varies from week to week. Like right now, we're mm-hmm. still putting out the vlog posts from the road trip, mostly because my editors are slow. But, you know, we're we're still Come posting. On guys. Get it together. I, you know, we're working on that. But 
people want it. I've got seven or eight videos that I've got the topics. They're partially written. They need to be shot and got out. So, you know, weeks where we're putting out a lot of polished videos, it may be 50-50. Right Mm -hmm. now, it's more business than content because I'm just sitting around waiting on editors. There's no sense in me filming. Because if I, a lot of the topics we cover with the polished content is more timely. And so if I'm talking about something, like I've got a list of topics we never even filmed because I couldn't get them out in time. If I'm talking about something that happened a month ago, nobody cares. It's going to strike with the iron's hot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you don't want me talking about something Shopify said seven months ago or four months ago or three months ago. Hey, I'll, I'll look at some. Let's, let's look at this. But no, it's, you know, this is not necessarily timely. So this works. But if I want to talk about the fact that FedEx decided they're not going to serve Amazon anymore. Right. And they mm-hmm. they made this big announcement, but it was basically like them breaking up with the prom queen before she broke up with them is really all it was. You know, it's like, hey, let me get ahead of this. Let me spin it as a good thing because we can't possibly do one day prime shipping. Well, nobody wants to talk about that now because that story happened in June mm-hmm. or, you know, the Shopify acquired B2B platform handshake. No sense talking about that happened in June. So there's, it's, it's got to be timely. It's got to be fast if you're going to get the most out of it. Just quick, though, on that, though, you know, like you said, don't really want to talk about it. But what do you think, though, for Shopify with not, you know, handshake, but them acquiring a B2B thing? Do you think that they can actually foothold into that mid-market, into that B2B space? Or do you think it's just more of like a tick the box to say they have, quote unquote, B2B features? I think that a lot of e-commerce platforms, they always want to be able to tick the box in comparison. It goes like that Gardner Magic Quadrant. They have to say they have these like baseline features. Do you think that was a feature grab for their for their features on their website? Or do you think these are going to be actually things that they're going to put in practice and work with to make them a stronger, better option for maybe a B2B customer? I don't necessarily remember the details and specifics of that acquisition at this point because it's been a couple of months before that was on my topic list. But it depends, right? Like they acquired a whole nother platform. Mm-hmm. And so it's a different platform. It's not checking boxes for Shopify unless they roll that functionality in. I feel like they'd have to do that, though. I think my thought would be that's what they'd want to do. My thoughts are probably what makes the most sense for them is to shut down Handshake if it's depending on what revenue it's generating. But was it that or was it more just an acquisition to get the talent to have folks who understand B2B e-commerce so that you can then roll those features into Shopify. That's true. Right? Hey, so you, yeah. you're you're acquiring the team, not the platform. More than likely, again, just speculation. I think it's pretty fair. Uh, so Toby's a big listener. Hey, Toby, if you want to uh, let us know what's going on, you know, text yeah, me. Yeah, give us a holler. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this. I think, though, I think that for them is they're trying to make kind of a charge for that mid-market. I think there's what they present and there's what they are realistically. I think realistically, they're really good for, you know, sub 50 SKUs. And that's kind of the, the base they serve in, you know, pretty sites. But I think if people more of like big commerce, for example, have a lot more of that B2B muscle than someone like Shopify. So I guess in my head, I assume that that's kind of their way to kind of charge into that space or to kind of do like a bit of a land grab, I think, as well, to be like, hey, handshakes with us in our platform, opposed to, you know, someone like them coming in or someone maybe like Squarespace who wants to step their game up or, you know, any sort of small player that really wants to leap and bound. Well, the last thing you want to do if you are if you have control of a merchant. If you have a merchant in your corner and that merchant, say that merchant is a direct to consumer play or some sort of big retailer 
and they want to try to get into the B2B space. Mm -hmm. The last thing you want is for someone like Kylie Jenner Cosmetics to decide that they need B2B and for them to have to go to a Magento or a big commerce or some other platform. That's just a foot in the door for them to possibly move all of their business over there. Yep. And so you want to make sure if B2B is something that your customer base is asking for, well, then you have to have a solution. And so maybe you go acquire this um, to, you know, to provide that solution until you have B2B functionality yourself. So for you then, what's your bread and butter at Jammerson? Do you do B2B? I know you guys do a lot of, a lot in automotive. Well, you guys are really good at automotive. We'll say that. That's not your only thing, yeah. but you're, you know it. Well, what we, what we claim is we do man stuff, right? The, the clean version of that. We, we do man stuff. That's what we know. That's what we focus on. You know, typically male dominated automotives, one power sports, outdoor lifestyle, you know, uh, whether you're hunting, fishing, barbecue grills, those types of things that are usually dominated by folks that appeal to the slow Southern draw. Um, where that kind of good old boy thing that we are, I mean, it's not a, not an act, right? Just, you know, if I'm talking to some New York fashion merchant, we're just not going to have a whole lot to bond over. Yeah. Knowing automotive and the data complexities that come with automotive, the aces and pies and fitment and all of those problems, the least standard data standardizations known to man, you know, being able to solve those problems also lend themselves pretty well to B2B. So we do a lot of B2B as well. You know, usually there's a lot of integrations and data complexities, things that come with B2B e-commerce. Not not always the case, but that's where we like to play. Uh, you know, like any agency, if you're doing a Magento implementation, we can handle it. Uh, you know, we, we can do, you know, organic food products and all sorts of things like anybody else, but those are not industries we're going to be out there actively pursuing. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Personally for you, is the man shit like that's your favorite thing to work on or do you have like that's our bread and butter, that's what we do, but I really like doing X. Like what's what's your favorite site you ever did? Now that's, that is where we and like to play, right? Um, I mean, Magento, we're, we're doing some big commerce stuff as well in automotive. Uh, and it's, this is, this is the lesson I learned. When I first started trying to get out there and get some work, we were doing some subcontracting for other agencies, you know, a design agency or a marketing firm, and we would do the implementation side of things. And we ended up hooking up with a Magento partner who's no longer around, and they outsourced a male underwear site to us. And it was a, a very risque male underwear site. Yeah, it was. Um, and they, you know, just part of it. They did. They didn't. They didn't outsource all of it. But we were doing some of the work on it. And it it had this slider where you could slide it from like naughty to nice. And if you went naughty, <laughs> all the pictures are semi-trans. Like literally, I had to delete all the pictures from my local environment to be able to work on this thing. Right. And it, it's then where it's like you know you learn the lesson where it's good to get paid. But it is a hell of a lot more fun to work on things you're interested in. You know, I'm a car guy. I love cars. I, if I were in better financial shape, every money, every dime I make would go towards something automotive related, right? Like I would just blow all my money on cars if I were just independently wealthy. You know, that's, that's an industry I understand. It's one I know I am the market. Uh, and Very so I, I like to work in that area. 
It's funny you say that story about the underwear site. I remember this is, I think, probably four years ago. It was one of the first Shipper HQ phone calls I like ever actually picked up and took. It was a customer that was on our WebShop app side of the business that was moving to Shipper HQ. And this was, you know, four years ago. And this customer said the name of the website. And it's I thought it was like a like a fruit and smoothie <laughs> website. And so this customer was like, hey, yeah, I'm having an issue with, you know, seeing rates on a particular group of products, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool. Like, let's go through this. Let's talk about it. So I was a support engineer when I started right out of college. Like, all right, let's talk about this. So I go to the guy's site, I type it in, and it was kind. It was it was that hole where it was so basic, you didn't really know what you were getting yourself into, but you could tell it wasn't basic. You know what I mean? Like you look at it and you're like, this looks vanilla, but it's not vanilla by design. Anyway, so I had like I like a small little red flag went up in my head, and then the guy says to me, "Go ahead and add in this particular product." He goes, "Add these stirrups in." I'm like, <laughs> "Stirrups? That's kind of weird." So I'm typing in the search bar and I click it and I see the link and it's a kind of a graphic photo. And Daniel on our team, who was my boss at the time, walks by and looks at my looks at my computer and it looks like I'm just like shopping. And I've only worked at the company for like three or four weeks. And I am just like red, 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 red. And I muted the phone and I was like, hey, Daniel, just want to let you know quick. That wasn't what it looks like. I'm not shopping. I'm on a customer site. And Daniel was like, okay. But I could tell because I said something about it, it made it a much weirder thing for him because he just kind of wanted to not acknowledge it at all and just kind of leave the weird guy in the corner who looked like he was shopping for very odd things. I don't. I mean, you're the you're the COO, man. You you don't have to make up stories now to justify your odd shopping now habits I from when you started the company. Like it's they're already past. You've already made it past it, man. You don't have to continue telling the story to try to justify. You shopping for some personal items at work. Look, this whole entire podcast is actually for me just to get this story out. So I, I figured you were the only one who had a similar story to being on risque uh, men's underwear site. So I appreciate you coming on. That's why I asked you that before we started. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was um, that was an interesting site. Let's just say I, you know, I enjoyed the paycheck for sure. But, you know, that's that's just not the kind of stuff I would rather be working on all day. For some people, it's you know it's just a job, do the job, move on. But uh, I assure you, whatever you're into is a lot more fun uh, if if that's what you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things you mentioned that I kind of want to dig into as well is that you did mention that you're doing some work with big commerce. So tell me a little about what took you to them, and maybe not some of the other e-commerce platforms that are in the space. Well, you know, there's a lot of things there. Uh, and so I'll try to try to unpack at least a, a couple of them. We're, we're Magento folks. I mean, we've been doing Magento as long as Magento has been doing Magento. We, we picked it up in 2007 and beta launched our first Magento site in 2008. And we've done Magento exclusively ever since until, until recently. The acquisition, the end of life for Magento one. You know, it creates uncertainty. I like a lot of the things that Adobe's done. And as a small business, our goal is ultimately to stay in business. You know, we, we would like to survive and, and see the day tomorrow and, you know, to continue to help merchants grow. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's at least a very strong likelihood that Magento is going to continue to move up market or at least serve a more sophisticated audience. And so there's a lot more agencies moving into the space. One of those things to mitigate risk, we've got to look and see what the other options are. We look up and, you know, every merchant we're talking to, every conversation 
that we're involved in, they're only really considering three options. And that's Magento, Big Commerce, and Shopify. And that may that may say something to the type of merchants we're talking to uh, more than anything. But you know, none of none of the merchants that we're we're engaged in conversations with, we're running into in our circles, are considering the higher end platforms or any of the offshoots. Right? They want that kind of mainstream uh, security of one of these known commodities. And mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of Shopify and how they do their marketing. I started a business because I don't really like people telling me what I can and can't do. And I would rather just not do anything than have someone dictate to me how I can run my business. You know, some of the demands that Shopify has placed on its partner ecosystem, uh, some of the things they do to kind of trump up numbers seem a bit disingenuous. Now, it's it's marketing genius. It has worked really well in their favor, but it just leaves me with a feeling that I have a hard time trusting the company. You know, if I don't trust somebody, then we're just, we're just not going to work with them. That left me with big commerce kind of as, you know, second option. So I, I started sniffing around there. I went to, to one of their get togethers last year out in Austin, Texas, uh, and just kind of started learning more about the platform and where they're headed and what they're trying to do. And I, I just think they're a great option if Magento's not the right fit for you. I'm still a firm believer that, you know, if Magento's the right fit, you 100% should go that route, whether it's enterprise or open source. But there's a lot of merchants out there that don't need the complexity. They don't need the maintenance and all of the things that come with that flexibility. And I'm having a hard time. And I honestly want to learn more about Shopify. I, I want to find out that I'm wrong. I want to explore that platform and learn more. But in my limited experience with Shopify, I have a hard time finding a use case where Shopify would be better for a merchant than big commerce. Now, there, there may be an argument, and I, I want somebody to straighten me out on that. Yeah. So what was it in big commerce, though, that I think kind of uh, sold you on it? Like, what made you say, okay, this is, this is a viable option? Because I think at the end of the day, our loyalties and agency loyalties are to the customer because at the end of the day, the customer is, you know, who cuts my check. So if a customer wants to go from Magento to big commerce, cool. I don't want to lose you just because you're on a different platform. Like I want to go with you. I'm a part of your journey. I'm a part of your shopping experience. Like let me help make my tool available on other platforms. So I don't really ever want to personally be like, Hey, nope, you have to be with on X platform or Hey, no, you have to be on Y platform. And for us, since we're agnostic and we support a lot of the platforms, it's easy for me to say because I don't have to learn like the technical difficulties and things down to the nuts and bolts of every platform. Like I'm not building the you know product pages and all that stuff out. So for me, I can selfishly go, yeah, it's on all these platforms because I have to worry about you know the one connector of ours in and out of that. So what was it though in big commerce that you heard or something that hit your ear and go, okay, these guys have it. Like I, can, I will trust this platform with my customer. One of the biggest things for me is what I see as the future, the short-term future, uh, the not-so-distant future of e-commerce. And I, I'm a firm believer okay. in progressive web apps and the capabilities that come with that and what that's going to do to enable us to build better user experiences on the web. I also believe that if PWAs catch on and, and are as 
and do so as fast as I think they're going to do, they're going to push us a little bit towards what would be referred to as a microservices type of architecture. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I don't think we're going to go all the way toward microservices to where every little thing your site does is its own little separate service. But your front end is going to be its own standalone service that then integrates with anything else you need it to integrate with to provide the functionality you need it to provide. So you, you know, you don't have to have content management in your system, in your e-commerce system, you can integrate a content management system and pull that into the front end. You can pull Mm -hmm. the e-commerce into the front end. And so with that, I think APIs are so very important to enable those capabilities. Big commerce, as compared to Shopify, and I, I don't know a ton about Shopify Plus, you know, make sure everybody here understands that Shopify and Shopify Plus is a, a much different conversation. But as compared to Shopify, where, you know, a lot of the, the cost comparison would be a little more equal for a lot of merchants, Big commerce has much more open and available APIs, much less restrictive. Um, they can handle a much higher skew count and more product complexity than Shopify can. You know, having those capabilities, especially if you're doing like what I'm doing, you're doing B2B, you're doing automotive that somebody might be trying to push in tens or hundreds of thousands of SKUs and maintain that data in a website. Well, automating that requires you to have pretty liberal API usage limitations. Big commerce does that a lot better than Shopify, in my opinion. I know they're working on some things. It's not quite available, but, you know, they've got GraphQL endpoints coming as well so that, you know, that enables doing proper progressive web applications. And if you guys do want to see a good example of a PWA site, I would recommend going to jamerson.com. Yeah, you could go to jamerson.com. That's a Gatsby JS PWA we built that pulls all of the data via GraphQL endpoints from WordPress. I don't know if I would say it's a great example of a PWA, but you you can see it. You can see the speed of that. You can see how you can add it to your home screen. Uh, it was really more of a proof of concept to give us some experience. We really need to get back in there and add all the functionality. And what made you choose Gatsby? Gatsby is basically a static site generator. And so what Gatsby does is Gatsby will do the queries on the back end of the site and then cache those locally to be able to serve the pages. Um, so there's no real, mm-hmm. there's no real time integration with the back end of the website unless you write that in specifically. In an e-commerce instance, you would need real time integration for things like carts or, you know, if you've got a little, box at the top that shows the cart and how many products are in it or things like that. You you need a little bit of real-time interaction. But on a static content site like our own, we don't need real-time interaction. So the cache um, just makes it work that much more smooth, that much more seamless, that much quicker. So I, I just feel like it was the right choice for what we were trying to do. That's interesting. So what do you think of their uh, WordPress headless? Yeah, I'm not excited about it at all, really, as far as, you know, functionality goes. I I think it's good for them. It it gives them an opportunity in a market to go after some of, you know, WooCommerce's space. And and I'm not a a fan of WooCommerce. For most merchants I deal with, I don't feel like that big commerce to WordPress integration is the right fit. However, 
Um, mm-hmm. What does excite me about it is that it is just kind of that initial push into headless. Exactly. And so it is their proof of concept. It's that functionality. There's a lot of merchants it's right for, and it'll be great for them. But in the arena I play in, the merchants I deal with, it's not really that useful. But it it is just kind of those initial baby steps into progressive web apps. And that that's really what excites me about big commerce is that it is a SaaS technical option, right? Like we're coming from Magento. We're used to building these complex technical things and there's all sorts of crazy stuff we can do and all of this complexity we can bake into the e-commerce platform, but it comes with this tax. And so you can have a SaaS option that is, you know, much less of a tax. It may have some restrictions, but it is not completely restrictive. And so when you add PWA on top of that, a progressive web app basically essentially removes all of the benefits of a open source e-commerce platform in regards to front-end functionality. You know, the PWA front-end for Shopify site or a big commerce site or any site in the world can have exactly the same functionality as a PWA for Magento because it is a standalone self-hosted application. As long as you can write the systems to manage any data that you have there, then it's on equal footing. And so with PWA, we lose some of the advantages of Magento in regards to the front end. Mm -hmm. That just opens up a SaaS e-commerce offering to uh, a wider market that maybe otherwise couldn't have achieved what they wanted to do on SaaS. So so I I think that... Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, I think the the technology is shifting a little more of the market uh, towards SaaS or at least making it possible for a SaaS solution to satisfy their needs, uh, which which makes you know big commerce and Shopify a little more appealing. Yeah, it's definitely hard to condition a market to take SaaS because, for example, like us from Webshop Apps, we were a one-off extension purchase. We had the license for a year. If you came in for support past that license, then you had to repurchase. That was a model, kind of like a license, I would say, for Magento. For us, then, whenever we said Shipper HQ, you know, we did move to a SaaS model. And, you know, at first we got run-ins of, you know, what are the benefits of SaaS? Because I think for us, in shipping at least, you know, there wasn't a SaaS model doing it. So we had to, like, condition the market to accept SaaS. And then once you got past, like, hey, SaaS works, you know, let's let's talk about this. And the, funny enough, like, the, the OG of SaaS is Adobe, like, the way that they did their licenses. And that's where a lot of SaaS companies model it after. But seeing a SaaS e-commerce platform to me makes total sense, not just because I come from, you know, running a SaaS company, I understand how SaaS works, there's just the benefits of it. So for me, whenever I look at an e-commerce platform, when I think of like Magento, or I think of, you know, some of these other, you know, here, here's your code kind of places. If you have an agency or someone like yourselves that have your back, it makes total sense. But, you know, if you really want to just worry about, you know, the t-shirts you sell and making sure that they can be bought online... SaaS makes total sense. I personally think that Adobe with some of their launch plans and, you know, the the cloud, the hosting, I think they're trying to dip their toe and get that move closer to SaaS. I don't really see it being far off until Magento has a SaaS full-on offering. I mean, they have the products. I mean, they've got their, you know, their OMS, they have the, the hosting. Like, it's not far off 
you know, and they could already have it right now. I don't, I don't sell licenses. I mean, you tell me, do you, am I, am I completely off base on that? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think you're definitely on the right track. Uh, We'll see how far they go. The ecosystem is shifting toward, if I'm accurate anyway, it's shifting toward more of a microservices approach. Mm-hmm. SaaS is pretty widely accepted by anybody at this point. You can go out and get the best of breed of each service you need. You can int- integrate them on the front end with your PWA. You know, there's not a huge advantage to this monolithic system anymore for a lot of merchants. Magento already was trying to move towards SaaS with Magento Cloud. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's platform as a service, but okay, well, we've already got three of the letters the same. We just got to work on changing that P to an S, you know, with pass to SaaS. And so they're, they're obviously moving that direction. You know, there's a benefit to the reoccurring revenue and having, you know, your full technology stack where you're not just providing the software and the relationship with the customer and being able to upsell them on more services and all different things. There's a lot of advantages to the SaaS model, which is why it's so popular. They're going to make continued improvements to make their platform more SaaS-like. But on the flip side of that, if you go too far, then you can lose a lot of the advantages of Magento. And so I I don't know how far they're going to go down that rabbit hole, um, they they may go all the way. They may not. I feel like they're moving that direction. I have no insights as to how far they want to go, but I also would not be shocked if some day in the distant future, Magento 3 is not a SaaS offer. Wouldn't be shocked. So one of the things that you mentioned was kind of, you know, losing that community to that piece. Interestingly enough, someone emailed me over that the amount of conversations on Stack Overflow, there's a massive demise around M2 questions. Do you think the community is shrinking and moving away from it in this, in some instances? Or do you think that this Magento 2 is just so simple that everyone, you know, has no more questions? Because if you look at, you know, in comparison <laughs> to other platforms, like what's going on there? What are your thoughts on that? Well, it depends on what type of questions, right? I, I feel like... Magento 2 is more complex to to get started with. Um, and that's not Magento's fault necessarily. That's development in general is more complicated nowadays. You know, there are just a lot more to doing enterprise grade development than there was 10 years ago when Magento 1 was coming up. The risk in that is that there are a lot fewer people choosing that as a self-help option. You know, 10 years ago, if you were moderately technical and you were trying to launch a website, you know, wanted to build a website and you hired some kid off the street, he's going to Google it. He's going to find out Magento is absolutely hands down the best e-commerce platform in the world. He's going to install it. He's going to run into questions or she's going to run into questions. That person's going to get on you know, all of the accessible message boards or Stack Exchange or whatever's available to them to ask those questions, to figure it out, to get that site launched. Well, nowadays, you could just eliminate the technical complexity altogether and go to a Shopify and throw a site up and be done with it. Uh, and so those self-help people are typically going that route because it's the simplest route. Whereas mm-hmm. 10 years ago, it, it wasn't the simplest route. I mean, Magento was really the only good option if you wanted to throw a site up yourself. 
uh, at least the only one I was aware of. I mean, we were using OS Commerce, which was just miserable. Magento was your best option. Now, the problem with that is, what does that do to the community five years from now? When you're, you know, because people come and go. People change jobs. People, you know, sell their businesses. Merchants come into business. They go out of business. Like, things change over time. And so if we're not having the constant infusion of new blood, how long does that take to really start to, you know, to show itself? Um, and so when merchants and developers are not picking it up on their own and learning it, well, is that fewer developers that we're going to have in the future? Or what that does is that shifts um, the responsibility on agencies or bigger merchants to hire and train developers whereas they could have hired you know, people that were getting experience and training themselves. It, it becomes a more mature market, but there's also concern with, does that lower a lot of the enthusiasm for the community or from the community? It could make a higher bar to entry. Which it's definitely, what's, explain that, bar to entry in the community? I think in the Magento too. I mean, if the simple questions, you know, aren't being asked and they're going to, you know, a simpler platform, it's easier to spin up a site. Should Magento be making a stand there to, you know, make sure that's a bit lower? To answer my own question with another question, which is a bit weird, is it depends on where they really want to go with it. You know, I think that they are moving up market. You know, they probably do want to get that off. You know, they might not want as many tire kickers, at least on enterprise. But, you know, if OS is going to remain OS or, you know, I can't remember the exact, there's a different name for it. I know that because Ben told it to me once. But if they do want to make that, you know, lower as an option, you know, my thought would be is they want to, you know, to cultivate those questions and cultivate that community to speak there. But I could be completely wrong. I mean, I'm not all eyes, all ears on Magento all the time. Maybe I just have a really weird look on it. Well, it's definitely a higher barrier to entry for Magento too, especially if you're a developer or somebody new. You know, if you're not an enterprise e-commerce developer and you don't know what all of these tools and technologies are, you have a lot to learn to get that platform up and going and learn the best practices uh, a lot more than you had 10 years ago. Uh, but again, that's that's not a Magento thing. That's an industry thing. Now, uh-huh. from a Magento perspective, you're right. The, the problem comes when how much do you invest in something that is not necessarily providing a direct business return? You know, figuring out a way to get more coders or more whatever into the Magento ecosystem doesn't necessarily provide a direct business return to Adobe. Um, that, that might provide a direct business return to an agency. You could go out and get great Magento developers for 30 or 40 bucks an hour 10 years ago, all day long. You could find freelancers. You could find agencies doing it for $40 an hour. Well, I know we were doing it for $40 an hour 10 years ago. And then, you know, that ticked up to where it's $90 an hour. And now experienced folks are, you know, $150 plus an hour. That's a pretty good improvement over 10 years, right? So it's, the problem is, oh, yeah. is that that also raises the barrier to entry. But it also creates a market where people will flock, right? You know you can go get a good job if you are an experienced Magento developer. If you have a Magento certification, there is stability in that. We'll see, though, how that's also affected by the dynamic of the M1 to M2 conversion. Is the market artificially inflated right now 
from folks that know the end of life is coming and are pushing toward getting off of Magento 1. And maybe they're going somewhere else. Maybe they're moving to M2, but that's creating more Magento 2 work than would otherwise be there if that deadline wasn't there to the platform. We haven't seen that effect yet because it's only a year, year and a half old. uh, And those companies don't move fast. And so we're going to start to see more and more of those companies uh, coming into the platform that may fill that void. And there may be, you know, no, no blip in the radar at all. Um, but it, it is going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out over the next two years. You know, I talked to some customers and I've, I don't know if I've ever said this like, you know, publicly, but I kind of see ourselves like a shipper HQ as the like commerce bartenders. By that meaning, if you're talking about shipping, you're either doing it at the beginning of the build when everything's really happy or at the end of the build when this is the last thing you have to finish and you're pissed off and like you're the drunk guy at the bar who's just like, you know, I hate this. I hate that. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. So we talked to these customers at like these two different touch points. And one of the things that these customers will call in and ask is like, what do I do? The guy at the beginning of the build. What I've heard some of these customers saying is, I'm just going to stay on M1. Someone's going to keep patching this for me. Someone's going to keep fixing this for me. Like, I don't want to go to Magento 2. You know, there is this massive barrier to entry and I'm not sold on any of the other platforms. So my thought is, is who's going to be that crusader that comes in and forks it or keeps doing the patches? Like, I think that there's going to be an opportunity for that. But I don't, I don't see it as a long-term opportunity. I think eventually they're going to get sick of it, and eventually they're going to need features that aren't going to be built out. So I think if I was a Magento 1 customer, obviously you have to do your research, but I don't think I would stay. I don't think I'd want to stay. Like, Why would you want to be on an older tech stack that's not going to, hasn't been progressed in a while? Well, here's, here's the problem or the thing for summers. Our customer that made that decision, it really boils down to their site is low volume, it's very special use, uh, and I'm not going to go into too, too detail, but it, it serves a very small part of their business, right? It is, it is a uh-huh. small B2B play with their business. It is not the big B2C main revenue generating thing, and it has all of the functionality they want. Um, it, it serves a very you know particular niche in their business. And so if they move to Magento 2, it would literally be them investing tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars to rebuild exactly the same functionality on Magento 2. And when it launched, it would be exactly the same thing. So it drives absolutely no business value other than it might look a little prettier. And that just doesn't matter to them to spend that much money to recreate what is a very significantly heavily customized Magento one site. And so they've just decided to kind of let it play out until they know which direction they want to go with it. Like I, Obviously, there's a certain part of the market that is going to do that. Those are the ones that maybe Magento's not going after. And I think those are you know fish in a barrel for some of the SaaS platforms. Do you think that is just usually some of those smaller players? Or think about you know, take this and make it homegrown. There's a path and there's a barrier in that path to Magento too, in some ways, because it's just, you have to rebuild a lot of the same things on similar, but different architecture. There is some strategy to waiting in that you don't need the new functionality necessarily, or you're just using a small subset of Magento. The landscape is changing anyway. I mean, we've already touched on progressive web apps and mm-hmm. Magento PWA studios coming along, but it's still in its infancy. I mean, PWA e-commerce PWA 
is in its infancy in general. And so moving right now, you've got to be, you've got to have some at least moderate risk tolerance to go progressive web app right now on Magento um, or on any platform for that matter. If you can wait it out another year, let those technologies mature a little bit, that gives you an opportunity to not be caught in this awkward in-between phase to where you move to Magento 2 with traditional theming, and then you need to rewrite it all with progressive web apps. It's one of those things where if somebody's not making money off of it, I just doubt how long it's going to be supported or at least supported properly. I don't think that being off 100% by the Magento deadline is absolutely mission critical. But again, that just depends on your risk tolerance because you are taking a risk yeah. by staying. You're taking a risk by moving right now. You're taking a risk by staying. I definitely do really like your outlook on that as well because I think that you as a person, you know, you're a good guy and you have a good company core. But I think that, you know, some other agencies kind of do this, like use this as a scare tactic instead of, you know, hey, let's just sit back and wait. Let's do what's best for you. So I really like kind of your stance on that. You know, not to say that the only good stance there is, but, you know, some of the other people that I've seen in the space or, you know, if you don't move right now, everything's going to explode in, you know, 2020 and just be like, hey, man, let's, you know, pump the brakes. Let's really vet it out first, which I think is generally what we tell customers. Because People call and say, should I go to BigCommerce? Should I go to Shopify? It's like, do your research. Think about it. Those other agencies tend to make a lot more money than I do, though. So that, that could be problematic as well. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, kids are fed. You know, you got a few vehicles. I see them on Twitter. I think I think that there's that kind of there's that view, and the, like, and there's nothing wrong with you know doing that. I just I think that you know it's that it's that loyalty and that bond to your customers. I think is it's one of the things that you know makes I would consider us friends because I think that we have that we share like similar ideologies of business. And I think that's one of the things I really like. I know that I know that we've been talking kind of for a while, and I'm conscious of your time. I have a few other questions I'm going to ask you before I, you uh, go to get to your real job. <laughs> I got all day, man. One of the questions I do have is, what does that Adobe Insider program mean to you? And how do you see that assimilation of Magento into Adobe? Like, what does that look like for you? The Adobe Insider program is a little different. Personally, for me, it's been fantastic. It, it was, and for those that don't know, I'll try to explain it. I was lucky enough this year to be chosen as a Magento master. It's a algorithm, you know, I don't know exactly how it all works, but it kind of looks at, you know, events you organize, speeches you give, content you put out, you know, the things you do to contribute to the Magento ecosystem. And so last year I was a top 50 contributor. This year is a Magento master, which I think is a top 20 or 30 people. And so with that, I got invited to Adobe Summit, um, which is Adobe's big conference in the U.S., and they brought all of the Magento masters were invited. Some some couldn't make it, but we went uh, to be a part of the Adobe Insider. And what the Adobe Insiders are is a little different. It is basically marketers, social media, you know, people that are putting out a lot of content in in this group, the business space that you know Adobe interacts with in in a formal capacity um, to you know to help. Um, generate buzz or create content or provide feedback to Adobe. And so I've been lucky enough, uh, you know, the, the masters were kind of brought into that, but I, you know, I went in with both feet. We create a, a bunch of content. I engaged with those folks. I've learned a ton about content to really help us get better at what we're doing. 
Uh, I mean, the whole four minute format comes from uh, of content we're doing now comes from watching these insiders and participating with them. But I've I've been you know officially added to that Adobe Insiders group. It's it's what I'm most excited about about this acquisition is just you know getting a higher level of understanding and um, access to Adobe to Adobe's leadership. Uh, interacting with these other folks that generate a ton of content that are much better at the marketing side. And, and it's, I think it's good for Adobe in that those people are brilliant marketers. They've got a lot of really smart marketing folks in that room, but I don't think they have many, if any, um, folks really on the enterprise side, uh, which is where, where we come in, especially mm-hmm. in e-commerce. It's been fun. It's been interesting. And I think just that group will do more for my career and the content we have have been providing the future of that content than anything else we've done in the last couple of years. It's definitely well said. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's nice for the, I don't know, I would say the Magento community's voice to kind of be amplified and heard. So the way my understanding of it is kind of that that's you know, like yourself and a few of the other insiders. And I think that's what you guys are kind of bringing into Adobe to make sure that, you know, that Magento feel and that Magento community is, you know, what's so unique to Magento. No other e-commerce platform has that. I know because I work with all of them. So it's really about trying to, you know, I almost see you as trying to maintain that and kind of making sure that, you know, preserving that in a way. Well, we definitely get to be Gento ambassadors to Adobe in that regard, at least Magento community ambassadors. And, and Adobe's shown that they're interested in trying to preserve the mm-hmm. community. A lot of the value that came with Magento was this community. And, and so they, they want to preserve it. You know, unfortunately, it's going to change. Absolutely. Like the dynamic of the community is going to change. There's no way. Adobe acquiring, Adobe not acquiring, it's going to change. I mean, we've talked about some of those things with being more complicated for people to to get into it. Smaller merchants who are just trying to get started no longer go out there and grab a copy of Magento off the shelf and then figure it out and then become contributors or you know hire local kids to do their development who then go on to be contributors to this community. It's going to evolve. Bigger fish are coming in. You know, we've got bigger and bigger agencies moving into the space, um, some buying up. I think over the next few years, we'll see a lot more, you know, acquisition happen in the space. And so we're, we're going to see a lot of change in this community over the next several years. So, you know, we do what we can to try to define the magic that is the Magento community and then do what we can to protect that magic grateful to be a, a small part of that. And hopefully I can try to keep that spark alive. Well, if you ever need a hand, I have a, I have a coworker who's pretty vocal on some stuff. <laughs> if you need to uh, talk to someone, if only we knew somebody, right? Yeah. Just with a, with an accent to generally accents make you sound smarter. Unless it's a Southern accent, then, you know, probably not. So, so I don't know. I, I, I like your accent a lot. It reminds me of home. It reminds me of East Texas. I mean, you have a much better accent than a typical East Texan, but it's that Southern drawl. I think you automatically put people at ease. You know, the pull up a chair, let's talk about it. Like, I love, the, I love like hearing that. It just makes me happy. Being Southern, Southern accent, the slow Southern draw doesn't always have the, the best reputation. As you get older, you start realizing that, especially if you start creating content online, if nobody else is doing it, 
a lot of people will say, well, nobody looks like me or nobody sounds like me that's doing this. So I'm going to change how I look. I'm going to change how I sound to fit in like these people who are doing it so I can do it too. And, and you don't understand maybe until you're older or until you get more mature that those things that nobody else has that you have is what makes you stand out, is what makes you different. And so you shouldn't try to change those things. You should double down on them. You know, that's what we do with the, you know, grab a, grab a drink here. You know, I've got my, I'm sitting here with a Johnny Walker red on my desk right now. And, you know, we sit down and we have some e-commerce conversations while we drink some whiskey. It's 830 in the morning, TJ. Don't be lying to people. I didn't say I was drinking it. I said it was on the desk. <laughs> I might be drinking okay, it. Okay, that's fair. I, that's a, I, I am okay. drinking it, but I didn't say that. You know, you double down on that. So we, I was doing some experiments on how we, how can we be more Southern? How can we, you know, show some personality while talking about e-commerce? Because frankly, a lot of it is dry technical conversations. And so if we can make it more entertaining, we'll do so. So I, I went out to the farm and I started a fire and I went, I went and bought a rocking chair and I set the rocking chair up out there and I lit myself a cigar and I grabbed myself a drink. And I'm just sitting there talking and I was like, how do we, how do we intro this video? And I was playing around with some different things. And I, I did this one video where I was sitting there and I was like, and I just kind of looked at the camera like, like you were there with me. And I was like, Hey, how are you doing? How's your mama now? Good, good. What's that? You want to talk about whatever the topic was? I was like, Oh, pull yourself up a chair and let's talk about it. And then, you know, went into the video. Now, that's too long. It's a little too drawn out. But I was like, pull yourself up a chair. Like, that's something that is Southern, right? Like, I he- I used to hear that a yeah, lot as a say. kid, right? It's like, hey, yeah, yeah, pull yourself up a chair. Let's let's talk about it. Um, so we, we just kind of went with that as our intro. And I, I like it. it it's, it's uh, you know, it's unique. I don't, I don't know anybody else using it. Um, and so we're, we're definitely going to keep that one around for a while. I love it. I, I think it's great. I, I think that, you know, I see it on LinkedIn. Every time I see it, it's, it's, it's just, it's authentic. And I think that's the one thing that you were saying earlier is that, you know, people are different. You know, we have different voices being authentic to you and not being like, oh, hey, you know, I need to do this to be like the rest of everyone. It's so well said. And I think it comes across in your videos like really well. And I definitely appreciate you coming on. I really enjoy everything you guys do kind of with Jamerson and, you know, with the live streams. Anytime you need a field reporter, like I am still, I am, I am a Jamerson field reporter for e-commerceaholic, you know, use that. I'm ready. Well, I'll be out at Majex in your backyard there. So I'm sure we'll get together then and do something. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to come by, come by the office. I mean, we get together quarterly. So it's got to be coming up. <laughs> it's about that time. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you, uh, you hopping on and uh, doing commerce party. Like I said, this will be out in a couple of weeks. Okay. I know how it goes, man. Just let me know when it's out. <laughs>